Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello and welcome to Accelerate. Joining me on the show today is a good friend of mine, Will Barron. Will is the UK-based host of Salesman.Red podcast, which I know many of you listen to as well. Will, welcome to Accelerate. Cheers, Andy. I'm really excited to be on, mate. Well, glad we finally got you on the show. So, and and I've been on your show a couple times, and it's been a great time. So, uh, take a minute, introduce yourself, maybe give yourself you know some background, and talk about how you got started in sales. <laughs> so my background is probably quite similar to a lot of the sales professionals versus perhaps the sales management in that I didn't intend to get into sales. I started with a degree in chemistry. It's a very common I, tale, by the way. Yeah, of course. And perhaps that uh, allies and aligns with the fact that there's no degrees in the UK for to study sales, to study uh, becoming perhaps more the account management and the B2B side of things. Uh, and perhaps there's a, there's a gap in the market for that. But I did a chemistry degree because I enjoyed science, ended up in a chemical sales job, which med, uh, led to medical device sales. My whole family is based in the NHS. Uh, so I was going to... National, National up, Health Service. Uh, over here in the yeah, UK. So yeah, I was, no, I was, I was gonna, just defining that so people here in the States didn't know what NHS was. So, sure. And the, with my uh, my mum being a pharmacy technician, my brother being a pharmacist, my girlfriend being a doctor, there was there was no way I wasn't going to be wrapped up in the <laughs> NHS somehow. So yeah, I went selling endoscopes there. And then uh, more recently, I moved on from that and started the Salesman Podcast. I saw there was a gap in the market for content for the millennial salesperson, clearly, and you've talked about in your show before, I know, Andy, that sales are changing and I want to be at the forefront of that doing similar things to you do, of bringing sales leaders uh, and then uh, wider guests such as uh, entrepreneurs, such as Olympic athletes to talk about mindset and that kind of thing uh, to give uh, both the the shift in sales and uh, all the ammunition we need to become better at sales as, as this shift happens, but also the wider side of sales of the mindset, which clearly and the DNA, which is just as important as anything tactical that we can put out there. Well, it is. So when you have guests on the show to talk about mindset, so what, what aspects of the mindset are you focusing on? Well, I, and, are, and are you tailoring that specifically for millennials? I'm tailoring everything. And this is why the show is uh, pretty unique in that I am no sales expert or no sales guru. I, I'm 
in the medical device role, I was pretty good at sales, uh, not exceptional. So there's room to improve. So I have people on to selfishly and help the audience, but selfishly to help me with my mindset as well. So for example, we've had people to come on to talk about discipline. Um, I am inherently undisciplined, but I, I put hacks in place to help me with things like that. So when I talk about mindset, a big proportion of what we do is uh, the discipline of getting through, if you're still cold calling, cold calling, but emailing and all the admin boring side of things so that then you can get through to the other end to do all the exciting stuff, which is building relationships and, and closing deals. Got it. So also let's look at the podcast, I guess, from the perspective of, which certainly has helped with you, is, is building a personal brand. I mean, this is one of the things that personal branding that we speak about a lot on the show. I've had a lot of guests on to talk about. I mean, how has the podcast helped you with that? So this, I'm glad you said this. I think this is the biggest change that's coming to sales. You can tell me otherwise, Andy, because uh, I'm sure you have thoughts on this as well. But I've seen huge benefits, like uncalculable benefits from having a personal brand becoming uh, seen as a, a known expert within the industry through purely osmosis from interviewing other experts. Uh, as I said, I'm, I don't consider myself a sales expert or guru, but I'm constantly have outreach to me to ask for my opinions on things purely from starting the show. And I think this is going to become more and more relevant for salespeople as uh, if you include Google uh, search results as a, an example of this. When someone searches for a product, clearly you only click on the top two or three links that are the <laughs> taking the ads out of things for a second because that complicates things. But those top two or three results, if you can become an expert in your industry as a sales professional and get within those that bubble, you've got then uh, people coming to you, uh, prospects coming to you rather than going through and doing their own research. You're in, you're in control of giving them content, of giving them information. And you're you're seen as a trusted advisor before you've even picked up the phone and spoken to them. And I found that with myself. So I, I'm getting asked to do consulting, I'm asked to do all kinds of crazy stuff at the moment, purely from just raising my image within the sales industry and having people know me. I think it's almost as simple as just being uh, known, because that obviously adds to the, the trust element, which is the, the basis of any sales process. Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm, and obviously, not every sales professional is listening to this podcast and go out and start their own, or we necessarily they could start their own podcast. Not necessarily that they have to start their own podcast, but it's not the podcast. It's it's more about having a point of view, having opinion, having content, sharing something with your potential audience. I think it goes deeper than that, Andy. I think a podcast is. Almost the, right now in 2016 is the, the perfect medium for salespeople. Obviously, it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort. And you don't see results for a long time. But you don't need to have a million downloads a month for a podcast to be useful. The downloads almost don't really even matter because a podcast gives you, a one, a platform. Two, you get this osmosis expert effect by interviewing experts. They're happy to come on the show to promote whatever they're promoting. So it's a win-win for everyone involved from that front. But then your customers, if you align the podcast correctly, you could almost, uh, for example, let me put it in perspective from my medical device background. If I was still medical device sales, selling urology endoscopes uh, to urologists and a bit of gynecology as well, I would set up a podcast or a blog or an email list or some kind of content as a salesperson to target urologists and gynecologists. It could be super simply just interviewing the world's top urologists on the techniques that they're using to perform the surgery. So other urologists will listen and just inadvertently 
I'm in the conversation without them, without me pitching them, without me advertising to them, with no kind of ad spend, with nothing else. It's as simple as I'm in the mix. And so because of that, they know my name, there's an element of trust to it. And so when I do reach out to them, they're going to go, hey, <laughs> I was listening to your show a week ago, driving over to California. I really appreciated it. And, uh, you know, they know who you are and you don't need any introduction. So I think there's, it doesn't have to be a podcast. It could be a blog where you go back and forth with experts. But I think there's real value in this space for salespeople to break through that barrier of uh, the customer and so an audience not knowing who they are. Well, exactly. And so more and more, and as I've talked about in my books, is you as the sales professional, you are the first line of differentiation between yourself and your competitors. And to Will's point, and one we've talked about on the show before, is, is you have to be in a position of, of building that brand around yourself. And so what are some of the elements you use to, to do that? It could be a podcast, but it could be content of some sort. It could be you're sharing some content, but it has to do something that supports your knowledge and expertise within, within your market and within your ability to support your customers. And before the internet, perhaps this would just be done by building relationships with the individuals uh, offline. With the advent of the internet, with people actively searching out all this content, it's almost a no-brainer to have that relationship being built on a platform where you're going back and forth that's then scalable, even if it's only 10 other urologists that listen to it. Uh, you're getting way more out of that one relationship, that one conversation that you're building uh, and it just adds that scalability to it, which it clearly is what everyone is looking for. And you can't just rely on your company's website to be that for you. Is Think about your LinkedIn profile. That is your personal website, if you will. right? That's your platform to create, to say, okay, this is what I know. This is how I can help you. This is how I can add value to what you're trying to do. And you know, I'd hazard a guess and say that easily 90% of sales professionals haven't really looked at it that way yet. For sure. And let me ask you a, a question here, Andy, if, you, if you're okay for me to turn the table slightly. Sure. Do you feel that sales professionals should be building their own LinkedIn profiles, podcast, website, whatever it is, or should companies be encouraging uh, the sales professionals under the, under the house to be creating content on their platform? Oh, I think I think they have to use LinkedIn. I mean, if 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 I get contacted by a sales rep about something, yeah, I'll go to the company website, but I'll also go to LinkedIn and look up and see who this person is. So I think that that more often than not, you're going to have your prospects go to your LinkedIn profile, and actually, you want to drive them there because that that's you, right? This that's that's the start of creating this this uh, personal rapport, this intimacy, and in the relationship they're not going to get from going to your website. And you can share and repurpose content and should from your corporate site, blog, podcast, whatever the, the corporate puts out. But then also, what are you doing yourself? Right? What are you, what's there that's about you and how you feel and how you think? And I think that personalization creates a huge difference. Definitely. I think it, it separates you right this moment. It separates you from 99% of the other salespeople. But then, you know, five, 10 years, perhaps everyone's doing this. The well, benefit they, they, of it. they won't be in five, 10 years. We'll go from 5% doing it to 25% doing it. So you'll you still just, oh yeah. I mean, I mean, look at, look at what the bulk of sales training and sales books talk about, right? So we can pick up any sales book except mine 
uh, off the shelf. <laughs> and they're talking about you know, the same skills that they've been trying to inculcate into salespeople for generations. And <laughs> nothing's really changed, right? I mean, the fact, the reason people are listening to your podcast or listening to my podcast is they're still finding some of these things to be a challenge. So it's, you know, people are people. And we're not born with the DNA to be perfect in a sales environment. So it has to be this continual reinforcement. And I don't think there's a lot of carryover from generation to generation. I think there's more acceptance of tools. But in terms of building better profiles on LinkedIn, yeah, bit by bit, that's going to come in and be more habitual. But it's it's going to be a while. Well, where is the problem here then, Andy? Is it with the format of a book in that salespeople are too busy to read a book? I don't agree with that. I've, I've read every sales book under the sun and I enjoy reading. Um, or is it the fact that we've, I say we, not that I'm including myself in this, that was a royal we, but have we as an industry been telling salespeople perhaps to do the, the wrong things, the triangle this, uh, and some of it just doesn't work? Well, gosh, you've opened up Pandora's box when it comes to that <laughs> discussion. It's it's the fun. I think the the real issue is that most of what salespeople are taught is sort of higher order skills, right? So we sort of jumped the gun a little bit, and you know, to me, there's a hierarchy, and at the bottom are our behaviors. In the middle, there's three layers of this hierarchy. The middle layer is habits, and the top layer, there's skills. And we should be spending more time teaching people about behaviors so that these behaviors become habits. And then you can put skill on top of the habits to help them master and perfect them. And we tend to focus on skills first. And Why is that? Because we think that's that's the point that's closest to the customer in some respects. We think that's what makes the difference. And I don't really think it does as much if you're not doing the other things. You know, if you, for instance, my book, I talk a lot about responsiveness in both of my books. I think that if you committed a salesperson to master being responsive, which you can do because it's, no one else controls that but you, right? The ripple effect, and Charles Duhigg in his book, The Power of Habit, talks about keystone habits, Right? Keystone behaviors that that have this ripple effect. That's that's one. If you master that, if you commit that every time you get an inquiry from a customer, you can back to them in five minutes, and you know you get a lead from a prospect, you're going to get back to them within five minutes or thirty minutes. You know whatever that standard is you set for yourself. That that then I said it ripples throughout your entire sales process, your personal sales process. Customers feel that that. Uh, respect for their time coming from you. They they see the difference there. Their perception of you becomes changed. And that has nothing to do with skill. That just has to do with behavior and turning that behavior into a habit. And I'm coming at this from a slightly different angle, Andy, than perhaps most of your guests in that I am a, a quote-unquote salesperson. I still sell the ad space on the podcast so that I've, I can continue this role as a practitioner. And I test everything that uh, my guests come on and, uh, and suggest. And some of it works <laughs> great. Some of it's atrocious and is, is absolute nonsense. So from this perspective then, why don't we teach people behaviors? Because that seems like a no-brainer. It seems that there was plenty of great books out there that are enough to do with sales that perhaps can help with some of this. 
within the industry itself, is it just because it's a bit wishy-washy and less tangible than, hey, you need to write a cold email like this? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Is that, is that what it is? Well, that, yeah, exactly. And then it's also just the presumption that people come to the job with these behaviors. And I'll tell you, you know, some of the people, the most ardent fans of my books and my podcast are people that are really experienced in sales who say, you know, I'd forgotten all about that. I took my eye off that ball. That was such a fantastic reminder. I've gone back and I've rededicated myself to these basic behaviors and it's made a huge difference. Cool. And so to put into perspective then where we started the show, uh, and I'm getting, <laughs> I know you're interviewing me, show. Andy, but I'm, no, no, I'm <laughs> getting a lot of this as well. No, no, so which, which is, what should we be focusing on as the sales professional, perhaps rather than the management side of things? Should we be working on uh, becoming an expert, uh, building this audience uh, and having, you know, expert status by osmosis by interviewing people or, or things like that of that nature? Or should we 100% just narrow down, no matter how many years we've been in sales, just focus and narrow and hunch down on these core basic skills like being responsive. Well, again, I don't call them skills. I call them behaviors or habits. Behaviors. Um, that's what that's, I think that's what I do, right? This is what I do personally. This is what I encourage and teach people to do because there's lots of these. You know, it's not like there's two or three. I mean, you want to focus on two or three initially, but, you know, Take something simple like you talked, referred to it before. You like to read books, right? Most sales professionals aren't doing enough to keep themselves educated about the state of the art in their profession. And you can have this as a standard interview question when you interview candidates for a job. Hey, what's the last sales book? Or what sales book are you reading right now? Or which one have you read in the last two weeks? And you get blank stares. <laughs> and you know, given the, the volume of information that's out there, and volume of books out there, it's there's really no excuse for not dedicating an hour a week or two hours a week. And if you do that to you know to reading a book or listening to a podcast or doing something, in 12 months' time, you're gonna be so much more educated. Right? I mean, if somebody listened to your podcast every single day, they would have learned so much after a year compared to what they knew before. And it just took a half hour a day. You know, same with this podcast or reading books. So that to me as a behavior that has to become a habit. And if you have that self-development, let's say just reading, I call it, you know, reading, listening, and learning. If you have that as one of your behaviors that you and it becomes a habit to devote half hour a day, turn off the TV for a half hour so you can <laughs> do that. It's amazing how much you'll improve, how much more you'll learn, how much more value you can provide to your prospects and your customers. Definitely. Well, I can attest to this firsthand of a year ago when the show started, when we started the blog, uh, as, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I'm, I'm a pretty good salesperson. I'm top 10, 20%, um, but never top 5, 1%. Whereas I feel now, after doing a year of interviews, people like self and other people within the industry, I would go back to my old sales role and absolutely crush, crush it. it. It would be it, absolutely right. incredible. And the people listening... Uh, from the, the from both the management and the sales professional level, if they, as, as you alluded to, they would get the same knowledge that I've got 
perhaps not as uh, driven and direct as I can ask uh, more personal questions on the show because obviously I'm in control of the conversation. But if they listen to... Hey, I thought I was too. <laughs> but if they listen to the uh, you know your show in the morning, my show in the evening, they'd get that same uh, wealth of, of knowledge and insight as you know what you're putting out and what I'm absorbing. And they would be in the same position a year later. It, it's, it's almost a no-brainer when you're driving to work and back almost every day that you that you wouldn't listen to something like this. Yeah, well, I mean, take another another example. You know, it's very clear cut, and you can't go on the internet and look at sales articles and not not hear this or see, read this. Is that you know, it's all about the customer, customer first. So when you first engage with a prospect, is lead with a question, right? Have them tell something about themselves first, as opposed to first launching into your pitch and yet you know you can cruise through online and see all these articles about how to perfect your elevator pitch and all these behaviors that do nothing but turn off your prospects and so, does this did, andy do you think this stems back to the fact that most people end up in sales and they weren't expecting to be in sales and so perhaps they see it as a short-term gig and 10 years later they're still doing it <laughs> Still stuck in it? Uh, no, I think people, possibly, but I think people stay in sales. I mean, because, you know, it meets certain needs within themselves, right? I mean, I don't think, given how difficult it can be and how challenging it is on a day-to-day basis to go out and do the work that needs to be done, as yeah, I had a uh, you know, first boss that told me, selling is simple. It's not easy, <laughs> but it, it is simple. And he was right. I mean, it is very simple what you need to do to work with a customer to get an order, but it's not easy, right? You have to put yourself out there. You have to handle the rejection. You do have to master these behaviors. On top of that, acquire some of the skills you need to become more professional and to rise to the top of your profession. But I think people stay because they see that path and they get some of those psychic rewards from from whatever ones they're looking for from the profession. So I, I I don't see sales as being a place where people sort of go and park themselves hoping that that you know they can wait out the rest of their career. You know, there's lots of office jobs they can go to and do that where no one's really saying, well, what'd you do this month? You know, because sales, there's that never-ending spotlight about what you did. Every every 30 days, the clock sets back to zero. Is that a positive thing? Is that a positive thing? In the context of we want to build deep relationships, we want to become an expert in the industry. Yet we're focused down to thirty days, a quarter of hitting a very specific target, and then once you've hit it, there's the the paradox of if you hit it, great, your target goes up. If you don't hit it, you get a shouting at, and um, you're, you're back to square one. Well, you're back to square one, even if you hit, you know, if you hit it, and they give you a lot of attaboys and pats on the back, you make a big commission check. Well, I think that's that's part of the personality driver for people in sales is it's that that recurring challenge, but. Yeah, I mean, there's clearly some people that look at that as being very, or feel very oppressed by that. And perhaps sales is not the right right profession for them in that regard. You know, is there things you could be doing that, that you know, sort of mitigate some of that? Yeah, I mean, there's some sales environments that, that I've seen, that I've, one I've worked in, others that I've helped clients get rid of, where the salespeople <laughs> really felt that, you know, every single month, if they didn't hit their numbers, they're going to be fired. And that's not productive. But, you know, having 
goals that you need to hit, depending on how those goals are defined. I mean, just read an article yesterday that somebody had written that said that perhaps the way we currently set goals are counterproductive, but but you know, the company has things they need to achieve and sales is sort of the engine for driving that. So I don't think you can completely do away with them. Certainly how you manage people to achieve those and coach them how to achieve it makes a huge difference. Because I've been in sales environments, again, where I've worked in, where you really didn't really feel that pressure in the same way that you do in many. But it was pretty high, very high performing uh, organization, very high performing environment. And yeah, you weren't completely without pressure, but it was, it was different than it was in other places. So it mm-hmm. sort of starts with the top, actually, and how it's managed. Because I've worked in both, and because this is the reason I asked that, because I'm intrigued to this, because I'm not, sh- I don't, I don't know what the correct answer is. But one medical device company was very CRM oriented of <laughs> every single phone call. This is in the field, running around with medical equipment, meeting with surgeons every day, but every single phone call, almost every email, because uh, they didn't have the integration between email and the CRM, mm-hmm. um, had to be logged. Every meeting had to be logged. Literally, you'd come out of theatres and you'd be expected to sit in your scrubs, uh, log the conversation before you went anywhere, did anywhere, anything else, which comes with its own hassles when nurses are coming back and forth and you're trying to meet other people and, and network and mingle and that kind of thing in the theatre environment. The next company I moved to, and that was more relaxed of if you didn't hit your target, but you're doing everything right, they were supportive and your job wasn't on the line uh, because they, they were very process-driven. Company I moved to, a billion-dollar company, did not have a CRM. Um, they were kind of trying to get one implemented when I was leaving, but I think it's a it was a longer and bigger process than what they realized. That second company, it was very much uh, we are the the best salespeople in the industry. Were dog eat dog. There was there was only um, and this kind of will set the tone of the company perhaps a little bit as well. Of there was only one female salesperson on mm-hmm. the team mm-hmm. uh, because they strongly believed that they should only hire ex athletes and you know male salespeople with medical device experience. Aggressive, um, outgoing hunters. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. And th- there was a huge shift there between the two dynamics, and I thought I pondered on this in the past. Of I genuinely don't know, and I was successful in both environments. And I genuinely don't know what the best way to to go about it really is. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you'd get a lot of opinions on both sides. <laughs> and and part of it, I think, maybe depends a little bit on the environment. But I think one of the great things about sales is is you you can find that environment that I think that fits you. I mean, if you have if you've done a good job in your career, if you're investing in yourself, if you're building your, have the right habits in place and you're building your skills on top of that, it's, it's a very portable profession. Yeah. You know, especially within your, well, even from industry to industry in some cases, I mean, you could broadly sort of define industries. And I think that's one of the great things about the job is that, you know, if, if you're in an environment that, as you talked about, which is a much more oppressive, high testosterone fueled, you know, everybody's a closer, da 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 da, which aren't, which isn't sustainable over a long period of time, by the way. But, but if you get in that type of environment, yeah, it's not for everybody. And so, you, know, you have that opportunity if you've if you've done the right things for yourself in your career to take your skills somewhere else. Definitely, and I think this ties back with what we start the show with of becoming an expert in your industry. You 
as an expert, have that option to move between different companies within the same industry, uh, different positions, a whole lot easier because you're a lot more likely to bring customers with you, which makes you uh, forgetting all your sales skills, habits, and everything else. It makes you an asset for the company to employ at that point. Well, yeah, though I'm, I'm always a little skeptical about this whole idea about bringing your your customers with you because, quite frankly, it doesn't work as smoothly as most people think. Maybe if you're a lawyer, an attorney, and you take your practice with you, you know, you're some sort of that's one thing, but. Yeah, I've rarely seen it work, and I've been in cases where you know I've worked for CEOs that yeah we're gonna hire this guy because he's got such a great Rolodex, and it's like yeah mm-hmm. these things don't translate from one company to another as well as you think. Sometimes they do. My experience, the vast majority of cases, they don't because it's and a different it's a different product, different selling environment, and yeah, maybe thirty, forty, fifty years ago it was different when the relationships oftentimes between seller and the customer really were personal. You know, drinks after work, play golf, you know, we take out for three martini lunch, but you don't see that nearly as much anymore. And it's most partially because customers don't have time for it, partially because, you know, as we've read and we experience is the, the purchase dynamic is so much more, is more diverse and it's broader, a broader subset of stakeholders that you have to work with is, you know, relationships that you focus on that one or two key individuals. It's not the same anymore. And is that the problem then? And again, to add a bit of context, when I left from one company to the other, there were direct competitors. I moved slightly up further up the country territory-wise. So there was perhaps you know a little bit of overlap. But in that overlap, I brought all my customers over. Um, one of the deals was over a million, uh, million pound mm-hmm. to convert their theatres. And that was purely because, and I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but it was because of the relationship I had with them and the value that I added when the products were very similar there was not that much in it once you cut out all the marketing hype, the practical uh, user aspect of it. They're very similar for the surgeons to handle and, and use and perform the surgery. Well, but the and key point so, you just made is that you were the value. You added mm-hmm. a lot of the value. So, yeah, moving from one place to the next, if you weren't somebody that could add that value, but you still had a prior relationship, you wouldn't have been able to execute on the second deal at the new company. So is that what we're lacking perhaps in an industry? And is that a question that we can all ask ourselves of if we did move company, have we added enough value as an individual to bring customers one way or the other? And should that be more of a focus for us? I don't think you want to build your your career around being able to have your customers move with you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's nice perhaps if they do. But you know, if, you, if your selling point going to a new company is, look, I think I can bring you know, General Motors with me or, you know, company ABC down the street and you can't, then that's, then you're going to be gone. (laughs) But if your promise is, look, I have a tremendous track record and I can develop this territory or this, you know, whatever line of business you give me or these accounts that are brand new, I can do an excellent job because look what I did at company ABC down the street or General Motors. That's to me is a much more solid way to approach it. So if, and I I guess, were, if I were a rep, I wouldn't, and I was changing jobs, I, I wouldn't be selling yourself based on your, your Rolodex. You may find some takers for it, but unless you deliver, you're going to be out looking for that next job pretty quickly. And someone with uh, experience of hiring that kind of thing, Andy, uh, turning this totally on its head, which is why I enjoy these discussions with you, because we can go back and forth and you're full of these insights. But could that potentially be a negative for uh, someone, a hiring uh, sales manager in that they could feel that, well, if they can bring the customers to us, they can in three or four years move all our customers onto someone else. 
It really depends on the hiring manager because oftentimes, depending on what their incentives are, they may be short term in their focus that they don't care. <laughs> Fair enough. Right? Yeah, we're going to go public in two years. So I just want to scale this thing as quickly as I can right now. And if this guy leaves in two years, oh well. We're going to be gone public at that point. I'll get my stock and I'm gone in that environment. But, you know, when you're building a longer term company, yeah, some people are concerned about it. But they, they sometimes get seduced by that idea that. You know, hey, this guy can bring this book of business with him, and and it does happen on occasion, but more often than not, it doesn't. So, all right, we're going to move into the last segment of the show. We've got one one last segment we have with all of our guests. We're asked some standard questions, and uh, we're just going to go to rapid fire questions here at, at the end. So, the first one, you can give me one word answer, so you can elaborate if you wish. The first one is when you will are out selling, let's say, sponsorships for your podcast. What's your most powerful sales attribute? You know, the, the attribute that I pitch mainly is uh, just the power of podcasts. It's nothing to do with me. I try to take myself out of the equation as much as possible, uh, let the product speak for itself, and then I try and add value uh, on the flip side of it. Uh, what I mean by that is I will personally add value by making it such an easy process to come on board uh, and use my expertise from the all the sponsorships that we've done before to make it work and to make it seamless. Okay. So I don't know if that answers your question. Well, that's good enough. <laughs> so who's your sales role model? I have two. So I love Gary Vaynerchuk. I love the way he uh, empathizes with the people he's selling to in his audience. I love the way he's building an audience from that perspective. I think he's. I think empathy is something that's really lacking in sales. Mm-hmm. Um, so on that front, him and then. On the hustle, motivation side of things, I don't agree with the way he sells a lot of the time, but I, I really enjoy, uh, you know, 50% of his messages is Grant Cardone. I think no one does the whole motivation. You need right. to get out of this, whatever you want to class system, you want to call yourself and put yourself in. Uh, and just his message of success, I think is really good. Okay. One book every salesperson should read. Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins. Not necessarily a sales book, but it goes back to the behaviors that we talked about at the beginning of the show or in the middle of the show. Uh, I think they are key. And I know <laughs> me personally, it, well, it drove me to leave my sales role, to start the podcast, to do a whole bunch of things uh, by purely just understanding myself and my motivations better. Okay, last question. What music's on your playlist these days? Oh, man. So I play drums. So I listen to a whole bunch of classic rock, pop punk, things of that nature. Um, But I also used to DJ. So I listen to a lot of dubstep and uh, electronic dance music and that as well. So if I had to pick a very specific song, the the last song I listened to was a cover of Like a Prayer by Rufio, which is a a pop punk cover from about 15 years ago. (laughs) Okay, good. All right, I have to... Write that one down. I don't have that on my list. All right. Well, good. Well, Will, thanks for joining me. Pleasure to speak with you as always. So tell people how they can find out more about you and your podcast. Very simple. If you have enjoyed this conversation, if you are a salesperson, B2B salesperson, just click pause, go to uh, wherever you're listening to this in, in iTunes or Stitcher, wherever it is, go to search, type in sales and podcast and subscribe to the show. If you want to watch the shows that we do on video, uh, Andy's been on a bunch of times. Uh, we just head over to salesman.red, type that into your browser, and simple as that. All right, excellent. Well, again, thanks. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And an easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate a part of your daily routine, whether you listen to your commute in the gym or part of your, make it part of your morning sales meeting. 
That way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Will Barron, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com. Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales. We're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.